0: I think it's all over. It is now.
1: Here is Kulosevsky. Here is Kane. He scores. And silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah. And Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah. Brilliant. In the center. Goal. Goal. Galatelle,
0: Aguero.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Happy New Year to all our listeners, and Happy New Year to my co-host, Joe. Joe, how are you doing today?
0: Um, I don't know. Probably <laughs> as rapidly as you. Uh, <laughs> New Year, but uh, bad football for both of us, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. look, thankfully there were... Uh, uh you know eight other games to talk about so uh we can focus on those instead right yeah i
1: think we actually have 12 in total based on the uh the timing of when we did the last one and uh, yes a couple of doubles for a few teams so uh yeah hopefully we can be distracted from our woeful teams uh before we get uh started onto that then we just want to kind of send our condolences out to Pelle's family obviously passing uh about a week ago now sad news um Kind of been on the cards a little bit, falling ill recently. Uh, throughout the World Cup, he wasn't doing too good, uh, but obviously one of the the greats of all time. Um, as we've mentioned on this podcast, we're we're not big on saying who is solely the greatest. You kind it's hard to compare apples to oranges. But Pele, obviously, uh, I would say he he gets a bit of a, a step up on other other players just being the first to do a lot of things. Um, Some good montages going around social media showing uh, some skills that are kind of pretty common in football today, but I don't think they'd been seen so widely back in the day. Um, Also has the benefit there that, you know, maybe things weren't on tape as much, but definitely a trendsetter. Playing in a time where you could just get kicked at any time and it was kind of just accepted. Um, And so he had to kind of probably be a bit more... uh, gritty than, than some of the stars of today, uh, but also showing that skill and his goal scoring records live on in various places today. Joe, anything to, to say on Pele?
0: Yeah. So I think um, as you mentioned, out of context football on Twitter has a fantastic uh, montage. Um, I think that has like almost 36 million views currently. And it just shows all the, the moves that Pele made during his career intertwined with the greatest players of the last 40 years or so. You know, they have Johan Cruyff. Uh, they have, obviously, Ronaldo and Messi. Um, I think Ronaldinho was on there. There's a numerous, you know, elite players doing these amazing tricks. And, you know, I think oftentimes in sports we get, you know, short-sighted, right? And we only mm-hmm. think about what's happened recently. And we don't think about... The greatness of of those that came before us. And I think Pele was the first great, right? He was a trailblazer, you know, him, Azebio, you know, and then later on with Johan cruyff And Maradona just changed the game forever. And whenever you mention, you know, the greatest of all time, you have to mention Pele. When you talk about what he did on the field, he had all obviously the tricks. He was very physical. Um, I think Olin sent a a, um, a message in the mailbox that illustrated this quite well. Where, you know, he was kind of he had like an aspect of the dark arts to him. He was kind of you know in numerous I think it was in two World Cups he was taken off the pitch, so you know he wasn't all. You know rainbows and butterflies he definitely had a more sinister edge to him that we usually just give to maradona but pele had that as well he was very tough i think one thing that we need to mention is that you know all these moves that pele was making you know in the in the 60s in the 70s um he did so with with cleats that weren't great um the The ball, which people don't want to talk about, <laughs> was not the ball that we play with today. It was much very, very different and hard to, never mind get spin, but just hit far. And right. so when Pele had that infamous attempt from, from midfield, no, no one else would even think to do that. And a large part of that was because, the ball just was not good enough, yeah. um compared to what they play with today. So I think you know it's. I think we've talked we talked about it previously. It's so hard to compare to these grades, but I think. What Pele did was transformational, um, you know, in Brazil with Santos. Um, You know, he won multiple uh, South American titles, Brazilian titles, obviously, um, in like a club World Cup type deal. He won over European teams, I think, on two occasions as well. So I just think that he was a transformative figure. And it's nice that you know he came from South America. He wasn't, you know, from Europe that's dominated this game for so long. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, post post career, I think he's been an ambassador for the game. Um, he, he's obviously treated with great reverence. There's another video online. I don't know mm-hmm. what kind of talk show they're on, but it's it's Maradona and Pele kind of heading the ball back and forth as the crowd goes wild around them. Um, I just think that, you know, it's it's a loss for soccer just because of the importance that he had in the stature that he carried within the game. It was differently definitely different than Maradona. Maradona is is so beloved where he was from, right? In Argentina and of yeah. course in Napoli. Um I don't think Pele has that same kind of um love affair with the in Brazil, but it's more of just like a reverence for how good he was and how great his accomplishments were during his career. Right.
1: No, for sure. And it's, uh, it's obviously a loss. Um, so yeah, thoughts go out to, to his family and those around him. Uh, you mentioned Olin's piece, um, that he sent in, uh, probably reading it here wouldn't do it justice. I'm going to post it on the website, www.wrongfootpodcast.com. Um, he already has an article up there. Olin does, uh, ranking Argentina, 2022, on a, on a scale of World Cup winners, so check out that as well. Um, yeah, I'll post everything he's put together. He's uh, sent me a, a longer version um, about Pele, and it's a, it's a good read, so check that out. Uh, in terms of the email, where did he email us, Joe? The Wrongfoot Podcast
0: at gmail.com.
1: Perfect. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Wrongfoot Pod and uh, hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this now uh, so you don't have to be pestered by us asking you or telling you that we have a new episode out. Uh, but all that being said, we will move in to uh, it's about a week's worth of football here. When we left off last, Arsenal had extended their lead, but Man City obviously hadn't played yet. Uh, so we'll dive in with Man City, away to Leeds. Uh, mainly to say about Leeds in this one is they did well for literally 45 minutes uh, and then letting a goal right before half time And that was almost a, a gut punch, it seemed, because then second half was really... City just took it over, Haaland scoring twice uh, inside the first 20 minutes of the second half, really killing it off They get a consolation goal back. But um, I think uh, at that stage, and, and we'll get on to Man City's other game in, in recent days, but uh, it looked like Man City weren't going to miss a beat after the World Cup, um, came out strong, Haaland becoming the fastest player to ever reach 20 goals in the Premier League, 14 games to do so, which is just nuts. Um, and he just doesn't look like he's going to stop scoring. Uh, your thoughts on on Leeds and Man City? Yes,
0: yeah, so I think this game va- went very much the way we anticipated the match going. Um, we we kind of waited for the first goal as you mentioned, Rodri right before the end of the half, scoring, mm-hmm. opened things up, and then in the second half, it was really just it was just it was just Man City at full force, right? I think the one thing that that one negative we can take away from this game, that kind of carries over into the second game, is Jack Relish just not looking great in the final third. Uh, just doesn't seem to be like in the cohesive mix that the rest of the team with Foden and and um, M- Marez and and obviously Holland finishing everything off. And <laughs> he doesn't seem to be <coughs> just fitting in quite well with the rest of the guys um but yeah i, I don't think Leeds really offered too much um in this match the, the, their goal obviously came uh later on um when they were down three nothing it was nothing you know you were never thinking oh maybe Leeds will get back into this one right i felt like city controlled this game from start to finish it's kind of the performance we expected um opposed to their game against everton if we want to get into that where sure. i think more of the meat is yeah this uh,
1: do you have was, any uh, initial thoughts well i felt like the first half yellow cards were being handed out like christmas cards at one point it was uh definitely a feisty affair this one um i think everton just uh showed up and just wanted to show um that they weren't just going to be kind of pushed over laid down and die uh Kind of looked like that may happen. Haaland scoring after just 24 minutes. Uh, you kind of worry at that point. Man City take a lead. Not often that they they surrender that lead and don't push forward, but they fail to do so. And really, a bit of a, a game of two halves and just Everton looked a lot better second half, getting a goal um, and like I say, just just playing spoiler really. Um, when at the end of the game, you know the the fourth official comes out with 11 minutes of stoppage time. I think that was like a technical error. Uh, with, with one of the linesman's radios or something. So they delayed the game quite a bit. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, Man City are going to win this. Like 11 minutes of stoppage time that just kind of cools out for a late winner. It looks like they, they're not going to get the three points, but then they will. But no, they they kind of failed to. Um, the goal that the Gray scored, beautiful goal, just cutting in off the wing, curling it in, um, similar to a couple of goals we've seen lately. And yeah, I think... Uh, Everton just did their best to get under the skin of Man City and it worked and they just played spoiler and um, kind of it gives Everton a big boost you know they came off the the last minute defeat at, at home uh, to Wolves kind of their 94th minute or whatever they, they, they lost there and you thought oh that's not a good kind of return and then having to go away to Man City how are they going to come out how are they going to bounce back from that and I think they did a good job to show some real grit um, and some fight what are your thoughts on this one?
0: Yeah, so I think this was the classic um, game where if you want to look at expected goals, right, your favorite stat. <laughs> Man City had 2.07. Everton had 0.08. Yeah. So obviously Man City dominated. And I think in regards to how the game played out, that that was kind of obvious, right? As right. we thought, Man City was going to have possession. They were going to control the ball. You know, it was going to be at their behest to try and score because Everton were going to play back and try and be solid. And I think so many of the games Man City plays are going to be like this, right? So right. what is kind of the difference between when they win and when they lose? So in this game, I thought that this was more about Everton being good defensively and Man City not Creating enough chances, opposed to yeah. just an issue of where Man City had so many chances they just couldn't finish, and it wound up as a draw. So, um, the the first the Holland goal that he scored just great from Mares, just kind of an in cut, cuts in, uh, makes the Everton defender, you know, look silly, crosses, yeah. uh, passes a little ball over to uh, Holland, and. And what happens is, you know, they finish the goal brilliantly, right? Holland does. So it's one nothing, and we think, oh, okay, now the floodgates open. But that wasn't the case in this match. I thought that, um, you know, Everton continued to play well defensively, and they tried to look for the second goal. Uh, they they weren't able to get uh, across midfield with in possession very often in this game. But what happened? Um, in the 64th minute, Gray um, just finishes beautifully in the top corner. I think that, um, you know, you could say it was a little bit smash and grab. I think the, I think what the real essence of this game was Everton, as good as they were defensively and they were great, they really did not offer much attacking-wise. Right. Gray finished the one goal, and it was a brilliant finish um, on the counterattack, but that's really all he did. Uh, if you watch this game, most of the game they were in their own half, which is fine against Man City, it's just it doesn't necessarily tell me a lot going forward of where Everton are headed because this was a great result obviously, going to the ETH and getting a point is all they could have asked for, right? But I don't know how you can look at this game and how they played and kind of extrapolate, extrapolate that going forward
1: yeah, I think I think with Everton, uh, like the one thing I say is this type of result is the kind of thing that's gonna spur you on. Like in terms of uh, if you get into the psychol- psychology of a, a relegation battle, um, obviously going away to Man City is is and getting a point is is great for your morale of the team. Um, you know, you're lining up against one of the best, if not the best, teams in the league, and, and getting a point in their own backyard. But I think I think that helps. Um, when we look at and we'll talk about some of the other teams around Everton in the bottom half of the table, uh, I don't know that some of these other teams have that fight in them. Um, like you say, it's it's a bit concerning that you know goals don't look easy, but that's part of the game plan when you play Man City. Is you're not going to be on the front foot, so maybe when they're playing teams around them, they can push forward a bit. But then against Wolves, they only scored once and conceded twice, so it's it's going to be a battle. I think uh, just kind of. Of all the teams around them, I think this fight is probably a good thing um, and, and a good boost for the squad. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't disagree that it doesn't mean they're kind of plain sailing from here just because they, they got a point away at Man City. There's there's a lot of time to play, and the kind of poor performances that they've shown in the lead up to this aren't just going to go away overnight either. Um, what are your thoughts on, on it from a Man City perspective? Just kind of uh, shake this one off. Just not the, not a good day at the office and and move forward, or do you think it's uh, signs that maybe they're not going to get their third successive title?
0: Well, I think they have uh, as a kind of measure. I think they have a Jack Grealish problem mm-hmm. because he's just he does not fit into the team that they they have. I mean, I think overall City obviously you can't be overly worried. Um, they they obviously have so much ability and talent. Uh, I think defensively Stones and Ake are playing well. I think they have the squad where I think it's important to remember that even though we're at the new year, we're only 15 games into the season, so we're not even at the halfway point. Right. And I think their depth is going to play an increasing role going forward. Um, I don't see them finishing any lower than second. I think they're either going to win, win, or they're going to come in second. Yeah. You know, I think we'll talk about Arsenal next, but they're, they're now seven points ahead of City that's not a gap that is insurmountable by any means but i do think it's it's important that you know city start to try to trim that down you don't you don't want to give a team like arsenal that's young and, uh, and you know inexperienced and hasn't never been in a title fight you want to put pressure on them so they can right. you know start not playing as well as they have been and you know start dropping points so you can really you know get past them so i don't i wouldn't be alarmed if i were a man city fan but I do think, you know, you want to keep the pressure on Arsenal. You don't want to fall double-digit points behind. You, you know, um, like I said, they're going to be favored in basically any game going forward um, because they're the best team in England. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you're going to win the table just because you're the best team, right? Yeah. So when you look at their fixtures coming up, they have Chelsea on Thursday. Um, they're going to play Chelsea again in the FA Cup. They're going to have to play Manchester United and Tottenham uh twice coming in the next um you know month or so so these are very difficult games right and of course they have the big game against arsenal i think it was uh, february 15th um right dab in the middle of february so the next month is going to tell a lot and i just think that they need to make sure that they're getting three points and applying that pressure to arsenal
1: yeah and uh seeing or being in kind of arsenal's position as a liverpool fan In in recent years, like I wouldn't be surprised. I think think Man City have played 16 games, so it's uh, at 22 games left. I wouldn't be surprised if they win 21 games and maybe draw one. Like, that's not unrealistic for this Man City squad to do. Um, So, you know, they haven't played Arsenal yet either. If they beat Arsenal twice, that's six points of that seven disappeared just like that, right? And I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but um, yeah, I don't think it's time to worry yet. You're just not going to win them all there. Gonna gonna have bad days, and you know they played what three three days apart. Um, the FA Cup break. It'll be interesting to see if Guardiola cares about the FA Cup or whether it's uh, just kind of playing some of your reserves which is still probably better than most people starting 11 when you roll out some reserves in the city squad um but yeah i I don't think it's it's time for concern but that takes us on to talk about arsenal who this time it was them. um kind of eyes turned to them after after man city dropping points earlier in the day and kind of looking at arsenal to say is this an arsenal team that are serious or can they kind of push on from from seeing man city drop points um and I think they silenced any doubters. I don't think it was the best performance. Uh, finished 4-2, could have easily finished 4-3. There was a late goal, disallowed um, for offside. And I think Brighton, this again, was a bit of two halves. I think the second once Brighton got the goal, um, I think they looked a lot more lively. It gave them a bit of a boost. Uh, but once you're already three down, three-nil down at that point, uh, it was a bit of a mountain to climb. But uh, I, I think Arsenal did very well to come out, get the goals, uh, get ahead. And um, it kind of looked a little dicey, but but not dicey enough um, that they, they were ever going to give up the lead, I didn't think. Um, what were your thoughts on this one?
0: Yeah, so I think we can get into... I think what we said last, <clears throat> last pod, when they beat... Um... Who did they beat last? Uh, was it West Ham? Yeah. West Ham, They yeah. just destroyed West Ham. Similarly against Brighton. Brighton is a, is a very good team, mm-hmm. um, especially at home. And Arsenal just took it to them. Saka, okay. Odegaard, Martinelli, and Ketia scored again. So I think just in terms of the style of how they're playing, this is just a fun young team that's playing so well. And if you're an Arsenal fan, I don't know how you're not just thrilled with everything <laughs> that's happening at the club right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I should say I should mention parte as well. In this game, I thought what kind of changed the game in the second half was in the 60th minute. Uh, Arteta brought off um, to, um, Ben White and Zinchenko, and I think right. that in uh, bringing out Tamiyasu and Tierney, and they just weren't up to snuff. I think that really allowed Brighton to attack down either the right side or the left side more effectively, and right. you know Brighton were able to finally score two goals. Um, once White Anz, and Zinchenko were taken off, but I think it's not, it wasn't necessarily a bad move in a three-nothing game to take those two fullbacks off. But I think this is the underlying issue with Arsenal right now. Right. You know, they you know before the season I'm sure if you told the fans top four finish they'd be happy. But now when you look at the table, they're up seven points. What are you looking for? You want to win, right? You want to win the league. And I think the biggest issue, especially when you compare them to Manchester City, is depth. Right. You, know, you look at this the, the Arsenal bench, there's really nothing there that, you know, you're looking at and saying, oh, yes, they can change the game when they come on. Uh, obviously, Gabriel Jesus is out. That's understood, and Katia has done very well so far. But there's not th- – this this isn't, at least to me, when I look at this – when I look at the starting 11, I love the starting 11. But when I look at the squad, I just don't see enough on this bench um, that gets me excited.
1: Yeah, and I think we um, – talk- we talked a little bit about that last podcast around, you know, what does Arsenal do in January, right? Like, do they look to yes. strengthen the squad? Um, I think, old oh God, it is just looking like one of the best, if not the best players in the Premier League right now. Um, scoring goals, getting assists, like he's just running the show in midfield and, and looking really good. Um, so I think they've definitely got some very good pieces and obviously so being seven points clear at the top. But uh, to your point, it will be interesting to see. It's not really the Arsenal way to kind of splash the cash around. Um, I don't know how much disposable cash they have to be to be spending on players, or or even where they would look. Um, like I said, I think centre forward would be good to to strengthen. Um, Inca has come in and, and played very well, but it's, it's still kind of how long is this going to keep rolling? And it, it could be one of those things that we keep saying that every week, like oh, the, the, the they're going to run out of steam eventually, and, and they never do. Um, but you know, if you if they get a couple of injuries or as the season goes on and you're playing more and more games and you just want to start rotating, Man City definitely have more of a luxury to be able to, if you've got two games in a week plus some European games, you know, rotate a couple of players here and there and you're not really doing much to uh, the strength of your team. Whereas Arsenal, like you say, there's not a lot there. So I think if they are serious about winning the league this year, um, if they think this is their window... Uh, Then I think they need to they need to add some pieces uh, to the squad, but you know, like you say, or as if they look at it from a business standpoint, uh, realistically, I think they're going to finish top two. Maybe they drop down to third. Worst case scenario, I don't think they're going to drop any further than that at this point. The way they're playing and kind of the gap they're widening between the rest of the pack, so. Is that what you look at and say, okay, confirm Champions League, look in the summer where we can add some pieces, some expiring contracts, pick up some players that want to play Champions League football. Uh, They they will have the ability to do that. Uh, Unlike some of the other teams we'll talk about who are kind of free-falling from the top four and it's a lot harder to attract better players to strengthen uh, throughout. Anything else to say on, on Brighton and Arsenal?
0: Yeah, so just a few quick things. I thought... Uh, just on Arsenal still. I thought uh and this is gonna be a major point as we continue with these games, Odegaard scores off a corner kick. There were so many corner corner kick goals this week. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Um <laughs> I thought Saliba uh, didn't make a mistake. He's been so solid um for you know, so far this year, but he did make a mistake on the goal, so it'll be interesting just to monitor that going forward. And I do wanna give a shout out to the Brighton crowd. They were right. down 3 nothing, and when they scored, it sounded like they had just tied it up. It was a, a very <laughs> boisterous um, crowd. I think they have to be happy with the football they're playing. And I think going forward, um, Brighton are going to be in a lot of fun games. They're going to be a lot of goals. And I just think if, if you're neutral, you know, this this is a fun team to watch. That's that's not necessarily one of the big boys.
1: No, for sure. And I think uh, they finish in a very respectable play, or finish the year, I should say, kind of top half of the table uh, which is probably punching above their weight a little bit but as we look at some of the other teams maybe it's more realistic that they can kind of establish themselves as a team fighting for some of the Europa League or Europa conference whatever they call it these days places um, as years to come as they can yeah wow. build ourselves Liverpool
0: might wind up in that competition so you better know oh, what I, it I is I
1: think they'll be, I think they'll be lucky to uh, be in any european <laughs> competition in this era but we'll, <laughs> we'll get on to that uh, before we dive into some terrible football uh, go back to, to Leeds area, one of the teams that played twice, they went kind of difficult uh, period for Leeds, you know, home to Man City, obviously basically get destroyed. And then you're facing a trip up north to Newcastle, uh, who have been in top form right now. And I think uh, they did well to bounce back from, from their game against Man City, did like they did for the first 45 minutes, but for the full 90 here of Newcastle, uh, and really just wanted to play spoiler and just uh, defend for their lives, get a point, which they did. Uh, Messier, with some great saves, kind of kept them in the game. I don't think Leeds at any point looked like they were going to win the game, <laughs> personally. Uh, but I think Newcastle would definitely be disappointed that they were they were certainly knocking on the door but could never find find that goal. And uh, I think this is what distinguishes Newcastle from some of the great teams uh, over the past few years. Is I don't think they quite have that piece yet. That even when it's not going for them, you still grind out a kind of ugly 1-0 victory or something. Uh, even if you're not playing your best football and I think that showed here as they couldn't find a way just to get that goal. Um and and they'll be disappointed to lose points at home and I think Leeds will be more than delighted uh, to go away from home like I say after a difficult Man City game bounce back to to third in the table and and get a point and kind of add to their their point tally, which every point is going to be vital in in for Leeds in their kind of somewhat of a relegation battle as they they near the bottom of the table. But what are your thoughts on on Leeds Newcastle or Newcastle <laughs>
0: Yeah, so we just talked about how Man City Everton felt like. A one-one, but it wasn't like Man City were pounding on the door with so many chances. Well, this is a game where I think Newcastle were pounding on the door, especially in the last forty-five with so many chances, and they just yeah. could not finish. So, um, and I think XG tells that story. I think, I think um, Newcastle's uh, XG was almost two and a half, and to have two and a half XG and not score a goal is hard to do. But Newcastle right. did it. I do think in, it. It was the same way with um, the Everton. Man City game we talked about earlier, it was raining quite a bit during this game, so that is something that can throw off attackers mm-hmm. and can make it hard to finish, so that could potentially be an excuse as to why they weren't as clinical. Um, but when I look at this Newcastle team, I think they play beautifully. Um, you know, I think there was a ball early, you know, I think it was Shar who started it, passes it out, and um, it was either Longstaff will uh, get the ball up and you know, get it to Almiron, who made a great move. <laughs> they just couldn't score the goal. I think Newcastle, under Eddie Howell, plays beautiful football. I think this is a team that is building. They have a strong foundation. They're going to continue to get better, especially with the Saudi Investment Fund. Maybe you know Cristiano Ronaldo will be on the team next year, <laughs> uh, as we can talk about later. Um, but I think when I'm a Newcastle fan, I'm very excited about... The, prog- the progress of this team, I think it's following a very similar path to Arsenal. It's just maybe a year or so behind where Arsenal is. Right. I would say, but in terms of this year, this is a team that I'm not sure is going to be able to stay in top four. Just because of when you look at this roster, Joe Linton, Chris Wood, Almiron, Longstaff, look, These aren't guys that you're expecting to finish in the top four with. They're all solid, good players, but none of them are... Of the ability of, of some of the other teams that are chasing them. Now, that doesn't mean Newcastle can't just be a better team and and those other teams can all flounder and they can't get top four. They can It's very possible. It's just I look at this team and I, and I think they're kind of punching above their weight. And I think it's very fortuitous that they're in the spot they are right now, third in the table. But I do think at the same time, there's obviously a lot of hope going forward. But if I'm a Newcastle fan, if you fall out of the top 4 i wouldn't necessarily be disappointed just realize you're building towards something right you're only you're on the upswing you just might be a little bit ahead of the curve right now and you might slide back down right
1: yeah and i think i think where the optimism for newcastle fans will come is they have ownership that are going to be willing to splash the cash, right? You, you kind of hinted to it that there's a, it's been released today that part of uh, Ronaldo's contract to go to Saudi Arabia and play is that if Newcastle make the Champions League, he can go there on loan and play for them. I don't know if they want him. That's not kind of the route I would take personally. Um, having seen Ronaldo over the last year, I don't know if that's a welcome distraction that you want. Um, and, and he's going to be another year older by, by this time next year. But they have got deep pockets. They're going to be willing to spend, maybe even in January. Uh, and you know, you compare that to the likes of Arsenal that aren't quite the big spenders. Uh, Liverpool will get onto a moment um, in terms of their spending and what they do. But I, I think that's where the excitement comes. Is like you say, they've got some good solid players, and you just add a few stars around them, and and they're definitely going to be up there um, challenging for the title because they're already in the mix. Uh, they they're sitting in third right now. Uh, none of the kind of so-called big six aside from Man City and Arsenal want to be consistent at the moment or play good football on a consistent basis so uh, there's definitely some cracks there that they can find their way in uh, and to add some players in January in the summer I think uh yeah, there's a lot of things to be exciting about as a, as a Newcastle fan. And, you know, this is a team that weren't even the Premier League a few years back. They kind of had a fall from grace from from Premier League in the past and took them some time to get back up. And, you know, now they're really seeing uh, the fruits of their labors and they're just kind of struggling uh, to, to get back into it. And, you know, Saudi money always helps with all of these things, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's, it's positive. leads. like I say, decent point for them. Um, I think they're going to be in a relegation battle till the end, but I think there's going to be about ten teams in a relegation battle for some time, uh, and so every point helps, and especially when you're playing the teams above you to get a point, uh, then you can kind of build on. Like I was saying of Everton going going away to Man City, those are the kind of results that can help spur you on and go on a little bit of a run against the teams around you. Uh, anything else on on Newcastle Leeds? I'm good. Okay, so I guess we have to talk about Liverpool. Uh, they had two games in the last hey, week.
0: Let it out. Let it out.
1: Well, let's let's go through the games first, and then I'm going to go on a bit of a rant. Uh, yeah, they they obviously beat Leicester at home thanks to two Vaut Fays own goals. Uh, one which was just a spectacular, unlucky looped oh. over everyone. Everyone just All kind right. of stood Clear still. Clear the floor.
0: Clear <laughs> the floor. I'm going to jump in. Vaut Fays. <laughs> Just an amazing, amazing performance. The first goal he gives up, the keeper is clearly calling for it, and it, and he was going to handle it so easily. It was just a. I, There's I, no one I, around. Do you remember him. who? Do you remember who crossed it in? Was it the ox? Maybe I don't even know. I don't know.
1: It was just rolled in towards him, and like no one's around yes. him.
0: And he loses <laughs> his mind, and, and um, you can and, and you can tell after the goal is the goal is allowed. Uh, ward is just you know the goalie's just losing as mine. Like I was calling <laughs> for it. What are you doing? And and, and then and then what, how do you make it better, right? You know, maybe what, <laughs> five minutes later? <laughs> a second on goal. This one, um, Darwin Nunes hits it off the post. Should be, I would think, a pretty simple clear out what is,
1: or don't just, touch it. He didn't even he need just, to touch it. There's no just, one around him again. <laughs> he
0: just melted it to the back of the net. It was like, what are you doing? Like, And and what people are forgetting, he almost had a third on goal later on. <laughs> um, I think it was Darwin Nunes again causing him trouble and he's playing with his back and he just has yeah. an awful ball that allows <laughs> Nunes almost to score and then he passes to Salah and you know Ward makes a save. But, I mean, you see some shocking... Defensive performances, but Veltveech one of the one of the more incredible performances <laughs> I've ever seen from a defender. Single-handedly, almost giving Liverpool the win with two two on goals and then a third horrific blunder. And I mean, really, he has no. I mean, all three of them were so preventable. You know, <laughs> the, the first one was just what are you doing? You know, the keeper's call. Unless he couldn't hear, I don't know. But just just in just an awful clearance. The second one again just belted into the back of the net awful clearance off the post and then like I said when he was going back and he felt the noon just terrible so I mean
1: <laughs> well, I, we need to go back and, and give Lester some credit for taking the early lead Dewsbury Hall with a goal and like I have never seen in a many many years of top flight football where someone literally picks it up probably just inside the, inside the Liverpool half and just runs in a straight line, and suddenly Leicester were three-on-one without even changing direction, without sidestepping anyone. They just ran straight, and it was like the weirdest thing ever. They're three-on-one, um, and yeah, they take the lead. And I, I think the way Louisville played, and we'll get on to their performance today against the Ben Sprenford in a moment, I think without the the luck of the own goals, um, I think they would have struggled to get a point or even a, you know, the three points is definitely generous a point probably would have been generous as well with with how they played in my opinion um especially at home against you know we, we were talking last week about this Leicester team when they got destroyed by Newcastle about how you know that you can just score whatever you want against them and it took two very kind of I don't know what lapse of concentration whatever you want to call it. it was the only way that Liverpool could break through this poor defense and uh credit to to old valt that he he managed to he had that kind of one lapse in the second half but you know some players probably would have just asked to be subbed at halftime after that five minutes just before the break and uh, he came back out he kind of stood strong and I just give him credit for that you know every time he touched the ball the Liverpool fans were shouting shoot uh, which was which was very funny but um yeah, I think uh, Leicester have got some troubles and, and, and when you're kind of letting in two two own goals and that's the way you drop points, uh, I, I think that's uh, not going to be good. And yeah, I, I think they're going to struggle, uh, especially if they play teams that actually play well against them. Uh, but we should move on to today's game as well. Yeah, Liverpool.
0: Just, sure. just before that, uh, just to finish up, you could make the case Valdez has been more of the better defenders for Leicester. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, just, I mean, Maybe the worst game I've ever seen a defender play. <laughs> <coughs> so I think yeah. there's that, but yeah, I think I think you you mentioned it on the on the Dewsbury Hall goal. Just just shocking defending from Liverpool. Just kind of all over the shop, and I'm sure uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the Brentford game, but obviously you did, so you can carry that here. But uh, talk about it.
1: Yeah, so the the poor defending continued into this game. It should have been four nil at halftime. Uh, Brentford having two goals love for offside one where the guy is basically in the back of the net when it comes to him and he kind of taps it in. So uh, a bit unlucky to be offside from the corner there. Poor defending from the corner from Liverpool. Uh, and then the other offside goal was basically hit the thigh of one of the the uh, Brentford players. It was probably going in anyway, but it hit the thigh of one of their players who was in offside position, barely brushed it, uh, and got lucky that that was disallowed for offside as well. Um, so yeah, it could have been 4-0. It was 2-0 at halftime. Uh, Liverpool just looking terrible from set pieces, from corners, from any cross, really. Uh, they made three subs, I believe it was, at halftime. They brought Ro- Robinson on, who had been injured or kind of carrying an injury, so he'd been rested. But I think he was the only kind of shining light in the in the whole of this game. Um, came on, within two minutes, Nunes had scored, but it was offside, kind of a whisker offside as he broke through uh but then they do get the goal some poor defending from brentford i think they just switched off for a moment uh trent alexander arnold with a a half-decent cross uh oxley chamberlain could just walk into the box uh unmarked and just head home uh, and no one tracking him and i think that was just like i say a lapse of concentration and then six minutes before the end emboemo gets his uh gets his goal breaking through uh Talks of a push on Kanate, I don't think so. I think you got to be a lot stronger there. I think he was looking for the foul. Uh, there was maybe a little bit of contact, but it was kind of it wasn't really a challenge in terms of contact. It was just two players coming together, and I think the ref was looking for that. Uh, and he calmly finished as Kanate lies down uh, and just has to watch as they they thread home the three-one. Uh, first off, I want to give Brentford some credit here. We'll talk about their other game uh, in a moment. You know they got two wins now, uh, one one against a poor West Ham team and one against this uh, poor Liverpool team, but they're, they're looking good. Tony wasn't even playing today. Uh, he was out, so kind of their, their marksman up front wasn't even playing and they still get three goals, uh, like I say, and two disallowed, so it, it could have been a lot worse for Liverpool. Uh, it's just... It's just poor. Their defence is terrible, Liverpool, right now. Virgil van Dyke looks half the man he used to be. A few times he was beaten for pace very easily. Um, You know, back in the day, kind of two years ago, I'd say he's probably in his prime or or the year they won the league, he really, you know, he would would beat players to the ball without even looking like he's really trying um, and kind of effortlessly having this pace. Whereas now it looks like he's not trying and it shows that he's kind of like half a pace off some of these players and he got beaten for pace. Uh, I think Alexander-Arnold doesn't want to defend. He can't defend. Uh, he does nothing. Um, like I say, Robinson came on second half. He's got that kind of Scottish grit. He's going to get stuck in. Uh, he's going to try and change the game and get get pissed off and, and get things riled up. But uh, uh, It was a bit too late when he came on. And, yeah, I think the midfield is just... Harvey Elliott, I think, would be great in a good team uh, when he has some kind of that messy freedom where you can just walk around, wander around. Uh, but when when the rest of your midfield is also Thiago, who likes to do that. Uh, Fabinho, who's seemed to have fallen off a cliff in terms of form over the last year. Uh, they just look lost in midfield. Then you've got Oxley chamberlain who I don't think is a top half of the Premier League player anymore. And maybe he won't be as Liverpool free Um and that's fair. Maybe he's, he's where he should be. Nunez has looked very wasteful since they brought him in. I think there's signs that he could be good. Uh, I think maybe a bit of confidence issues happening there. And and Salah, I think he either just looks uninterested or it just doesn't seem to have the effort. Yeah, there's sparks when he'll pick up the ball and you kind of have that moment of excitement and he turns on the pace. But uh, definitely a far cry from from what it used to be. And, you know, what have they done? They've, they've got issues in midfield. They've got issues in defence. Uh, they signed Arthur, who's just been broken since they've signed him. I don't even know if they've still got him in the squad. Uh, he's basically been injured since they they got him on loan from Juventus. Uh, they've now signed Gapko, who is obviously an attacking player. And what like what's the point? Like why do, why do you need? attacking players right now you need to shore up your midfield you need to get some more grit in there Um, you need to shore up your defense which is like I say I think the best thing to do is move Alexander Arnold to midfield and actually get someone who can defend behind him Uh, would be a great help because that's teams definitely recognize that and and target him and you know then you have to listen to Jurgen Klopp making excuses yet again and I'd rather he just comes out and says, we weren't good enough. None of this, like, oh, these teams who didn't have players in the World Cup, you know, they're better rested, this, that, and the other. It's like, well, how many of these Liverpool players went that far into the World Cup? They haven't played for a month. Like, you know, it's it's not like they had they've got all argentinian and french players who went the distance and and were playing a week up until the premier league started again like half these players were out if if that if they played like who who went the furthest konatey obviously went the furthest but he was on the bench for the most part for france uh, van dyke obviously got to the quarters but you know that that ended a month ago this isn't an excuse uh, he then starts moaning about teams spending money that's not true Liverpool spend just as much money they just spend it poorly sometimes Uh, I think they still kind of live on the success of signing players like Salah for a bargain Mane for a bargain Um, and now they've started to kind of say like think that every signing is going to be like that they can pick up a player they try to sign Minamino for 7 million bucks or pounds and you know He's now where Southampton or, or where they've up, offloaded him to. So it's like they, they think that every bargain they buy is going to be the next Mohamed Salah, which is which is not the case. Um, and then when they do splash the cash, you know, they've signed Nunez. He is definitely not delivered at this point. Um, still early days. And like I say, I think the team around him isn't probably helping. Uh, but when you've lost Sadio Mane, who was probably one of the best strikers in Europe uh, for the last five years, ten years, you need to be bringing people in and I think the rest of the league has moved forward and Liverpool for the most part are playing the same team same players that they played three four years ago The the core of the team is exactly the same and they've done nothing to kind of plug some of the holes they lost they lost Van they've never replaced him in midfield they've now lost Mane and they've got yes they've got injuries but they've got Oxley Chambing replacing him and you know he's just not good enough uh if you want to be pushing for the title pushing for the top four uh but i feel like that was a a five minute monologue too long uh to give Liverpool too much credit to talk about them this long because it was just uh, a poor couple of days and they were lucky to get three points out of these two games uh i think you know more deservedly maybe one or no points would have been would have been fairer but yeah that's my that's my rant for the day sorry joe
0: no i think you know it's understood um, yeah, I think it's just a club on transition. Um, the team that has won so much over the last five or six years is either gone or getting older. I think Darwin Nunez. I think he's really good. Um Yes, he's he struggled in front of the you know finishing. I just think he's so young that you just have to give him time. And I know Liverpool fans are are going to be impatient because <laughs> they think they're in their window right now. So I understand that, but I think he's a class player. Uh, obviously, I like the addition of Gakpo. I'm interested to see how they use him. Um, but I think what you said is 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 really the crux of the issue. You know, Van Dijk is not what he once was. Uh, Robertson and in um Trent AAA, um they're not good defensively, right? So they can be exposed as as great as they are going forward. Um they leave much to be desired defensively. Uh, I think but I think the biggest issue is honestly the midfield, right? Fabinho yeah. and Thiago are just not what they were and I think you know, when you had Winaldum when you had a younger Fabinho, uh that midfield was the fulcrum of this Liverpool team. You know, protected the back four, which at times were quite weak when you had, like, Dejan Lovren and and so forth. (laughs) And then you had the front three, you know, Salah Mane. So, um, yeah, I just think it's a team in transition. I, I I don't think there's an easy fix. I just think it's a matter of kind of changing the roster over and getting fresh new players, I think... You know Klopp's system is it works, but there's the reason where he usually he usually struggles in his seventh season at teams. I think it's just because right. it's a lot. So I think this is a team that needs a huge overhaul, and I'm not positive they can get top four this year. I still think they could, but I just I think it's a team in transition that just that just it, it it doesn't have enough control and quality in the midfield, in my opinion.
1: Well, what's, what's really frustrating is throughout the summer, they were talking about signing Jude Bellingham, and then they're like, okay, we're going to do it next year, so we're not going to spend any money now. And then come January, oh, we're not going to spend any money, we're going to sign Jude Bellingham. But the reality is, they're not going to sign Jude Bellingham. Like He's already said, pretty much, he wants to go to Real Madrid. Uh, I think if he comes to England, he's not going to want to go to Liverpool, especially if they miss the Champions League. So... I. It's kind of like, well, why are you wasting this time? You even got to pull the trigger and you signed him last year. Um, you know, they were, there was talks that they were going to sign Mbappe two years ago. They didn't bother even pursuing that. And here we are. You know, there were signs they were going to sign Kai Havertz, who ends up at Chelsea, uh, Timo Werner. Like, there's all these players that Liverpool always talk about, like, oh, we're, we're saving ourselves for that signing. And then they never get him. And then all they do is renew James Milner's contract. And that's like a successful transfer window, and it's just it's just aggravating. And if you're not going to spend any money, like just don't make excuses that it's because you're going to sign someone else. Like that's what drives me nuts. And you know, the the longer you wait for Jude Bellingham, the better he's getting, the worse Liverpool are getting, and the gap between them realistically being able to sign him gets bigger and bigger. Um, but yeah, that's that's enough on on Liverpool for now. Uh, we'll move on to Liverpool's big rivals, Man United, who to me. They kind of quietly going about their business here they're they kind of
0: uh,
1: people have written them off in in recent years and, and rightly so but they win again um probably not the best performance against wolves uh rashford had got in some trouble behind the scenes apparently so got got benched for this one Then comes yeah, off the bench was, and he sorry, was late he was
0: late okay. apparently
1: yeah, so yeah. <laughs> apparently that's enough to, to get you on the bench. and Then you come on, you score a goal, and I think that's a bit of a an FU to your manager to say, like, well, don't bench me again because I'm, I'm the reason you're winning games. Um, but also, I, I appreciate the, the discipline. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, like I say, Man United quietly going about their business. They win again. Um, Wolves play pretty well in this. Uh, I don't think they kind of... Look terrible. Uh, it's coming off obviously that late win against Everton. Back to back wins for a new manager, and then and then this is their first drop points since he's come in. Um, they nearly snatched a late point. Uh, David de Gea getting a decent save uh, to to stop off uh, to stop the the kind of the comeback uh, in this one. And I think, like I say, Man United just going about their business. I think they will stay in the top four or make the top four and. Yeah, uh, they're looking very good. I think the best thing they've done is is cut bait with Ronaldo, and that's why I'm saying I don't think Newcastle necessarily want that distraction in their team. Uh, what are your thoughts on Man on United versus Wolves?
0: Yeah, so I think the second half, especially when you mentioned when Rashford came out, was a huge difference. I think um, Luke Shaw going into center half again, he was very good again. Mm-hmm. I think him and Varane make an interesting pairing, and I think they add... A solidity to the squad um, that they haven't had for a few years now. Obviously, Erickson and Casemiro in the middle are great. I do do question about, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Anthony or Martial, and I think they really rely on Rashford to score. So um, I do question a little bit of their attacking options. I do think that's why we see in a game where – they kind of controlled the game more so than Wolves. They just couldn't finish. Mm-hmm. Um, they were able to grind out the result. And I think that they're solid enough at the back where they can get into the top four just because they can keep so many clean sheets. Uh, De Gea made a few key saves in this game. Um, honestly, I think Wolves did a great job to, to stay alive in the first half. I think um, Jose Sa made a great save off, uh, off an error. I think Nathan Collins came in and made a great tackle in the first half when, when Man United looked like they were going to score. Um, but the difference between these two teams is Man, Man United just has somebody right. They have a Rashford. Right. Wolves doesn't have that, and um, I think that's going to be the big issue for Wolves going forward. Right? Um, how? Where do they pick up goals? Right. right? I think. I'm pretty sure they've scored le- the least amount of goals of any team in the Premier League. They've only scored 10 this year. 10 in 17 games is just not enough. Right. You're going to get relegated unless you score more. Um, and even under Potegi, it looks like they're just going to have to try and ground out results and hope that's good enough uh, more often than not. So, you know, I think for Man United, you have to be positive. It wasn't a great performance, but with Rashford came on, you look better. I think if you're a Wolves fan, you have to be continually nervous. And I do want to point out, Julian Lopetegui, so annoying. <laughs> um, he just does not stop complaining to the poor fourth official the whole entire game. It's just like a, a one-way conversation where he's just bashing the fourth official who has no control, really, of anything. Right. And he's just he just will to shut up. So I do want to say, like, he's very annoying. Um, one of the more annoying managers we've had, I think, in a long time. Just just does not shut up on the sideline, which is quite annoying. But, you know, I, I think Wayne United went to Malio, they got the result they needed, and I think you have to be happy with that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to another top four chasing team and relegation fighting team. Uh, Chelsea heading up to uh, Nottingham Forest. Uh, this one, you know, I think, again, a bit of a, a kind of just a smash and grab job here from, from Nottingham Forest. Uh, <laughs> it really looked like kind of one-way traffic um, for Chelsea. They get the goal after 60 minutes, Sterling scores. You think, you know, much like Man City Everton, and you think, okay, that's the first. They're going to get two or three before halftime and and just push on and win this game. Um, But they couldn't do it. They, They didn't really... Uh, push on after that in the first half they, they had a few more chances and then second half I just don't think they look very good at all and I, I've spoken about this before, Chelsea are really such a Jekyll and Hyde team uh, sometimes you, you watch Chelsea play and they're kind of like the Chelsea of old that you think could go unbeaten for many many games and just keep winning, keep winning, keep winning and then they go on these kind of Runs where they just look terrible, and they just they just don't seem to have the consistency. And I think Tuchel was unlucky to lose his job. I don't think a lot is his fault, Um, and it doesn't seem like a ton has changed since since he left Uh, Chelsea. Obviously enjoy kind of the manager merry you around and, and not giving people time to, to push through a bad spell but I definitely think they'll be disappointed that they couldn't push on and get the victory here and Forest too obviously I think they're still in the relegation zone even though getting a point here but you know every point helps especially at home against one of the big six uh, to, to go behind and, and come back and get a win uh, is is definitely something you're going to go and again I keep talking about it it's those sorts of results that you look to the next two, three games and see what did that spark did that spark anything and you know sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't but this is this is another team that you know it's going to make for a, an exciting relegation battle because it, this Premier League se- season just seems to be so topsy-turvy that one week uh, someone looks like the best team in the league and the next week they, they just don't look very good at all and people are picking up points where you don't expect them to usually pick up points what are your thoughts on, on Chelsea versus Forest?
0: Uh, so I actually saw this game quite a bit differently than you did um, I actually think Chelsea were a little lucky to get a point, honestly. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I thought this was actually quite a poor performance from Chelsea. I think even in the first half, the goal they scored from Raheem Serling, it was kind of off of a, a jumbled mess. <laughs> uh, he just kind of was there and, and finished it. But uh, I think Pulisic crossed it into, I don't even know who was at the near post. I want to say it was, i um, checking my notes here quick. Trying to see who was at the near post. I think it was Havers was at the near post. I would imagine, uh, and it just kind of fumbled off the defender, and it just fell right to Sterling, and he finished. But I didn't think Chelsea really did much to get that goal. Um, and then I think in the second half, it was completely one sided, and it was all Nottingham. Now, similarly to Chelsea, it never looked like Nottingham were going to score. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Forest were in com- you know Forrest were in complete control of this game. Uh, they had, you know, in the second half, the crowd was warring. And, it, you know, they they were able to get the goal. And just as ugly as Chelsea's, it was a Serge Aurier, you know, <laughs> off a corner, it kind of deflected to him. And he was just, he did a great job of controlling it off his chest and then, you know, netting it. But it was a very ugly goal. Um, so I think this was kind of a, you know, when you look at the XG in this game, it was basically even, um, which, you know, I basically saw. I think it was just two teams that, look good at times but both were very lucky to score to be honest and I just when I look at this Chelsea team I you know I I think in the coming weeks we're going to want to get a Chelsea fan on the pod for their perspective because I feel like this is a club at a real crossroads Mm -hmm. Um, you know when I look at this roster like there's talent but I'm just not sure if this is you know talent to to be a top four team I mean Christian Pulisic he has a talent but I'm just not sure if he's good enough to start every game for a top-four team. I feel right. the same with the way about Havertz. Sterling has just kind of looked missing at times, you know. Mason Mount is okay. Jorginho, eh. Aspilicata, I think, honestly, Diego Silva looks like their best player, yeah. you know, more often than not. Um, you know, they signed Cucurella for $60 million. Does he look like a $60 million-pound player to you? Not to me. I mean, he looks okay, but he doesn't do anything special to be a $60 million left-back, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think... I'm very I'm a big believer in Graham Potter. He's someone that I wanted to be Tottenham's manager. I think he's a very good manager, but like I, I don't know if maybe the players don't respect him or they don't trust him yet or it's just taking longer than anticipated to get a system initiated or if the quality in this team is just not good enough, but I, you know, I think this team's at kind of a crossroads. I'm not really sure what to make of them. I don't necessarily see the talent on the squad. I see the talent, but I just don't see it consistently enough on this team. Right. And I just, um, I think there's a lot of questions um, to be had. Obviously with Todd Bowley, the new ownership there, I think they're gonna splash some more cash in January. But are they gonna get players that Grand Potter wants? And when I look at this Chelsea team, they're not. They don't play like a like Grand P- Potter's Brighton did. You know, I see right. a team that's kind of all over the place. So I'm very interested to see how that goes and then with force on the other side I think this is a good result um, but I just I don't know I, I they spent a lot of money I just this is another team I don't see the cohesion I don't see the goal scorer up top this is a team you know when we talk about you know the table they're right in the middle of it um, in terms of the <coughs> fight are they going to be able to, to score enough points to get out of it maybe but I, you know, when I watched this game, I wasn't, I wasn't blown away with either team, but, you know, it was a point for Nottingham, which gets them, a spot, a point closer to getting out of the relegation zone, and for Chelsea, I just think it's another, disappointing performance, and they have, you know, Man City coming up on Thursday here, and then in the FA Cup again, so it's going to be interesting to see, if if we can see a little bit more from Chelsea, because if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm I'm quite nervous.
1: Yeah, I think Chelsea are currently seven points off Man United in fourth, so that's already. A bit of a gap. Uh, obviously, we've seen bigger gaps closed down, but you know they're also sitting ninth. There's there's teams in between them. You know, like Tottenham could turn things around, Liverpool could turn things around. Uh, Brentford and Fulham are both looking like they can hold their own against some of these be- better teams. Um, Fulham, I'd say, are probably more likely to drop off than Brentford, having having watched Brentford win a couple in the last week um, and and convincingly win those games against, uh, like I say, Liverpool and and a bit kind of easier against West Ham. But yeah, I think it's. Chelsea are a bit of a team of good players but not a team I, I think kind of when they've bought some of their players you know the Werner experience didn't work out he's now back in Germany Havertz is, is good but it, it, like I don't know Yeah, I, I don't really know what their identity is and you know when, when Graham Potter comes in and you're inheriting a team that you haven't put together and you want to play a certain style of football it does often take time to kind of transition that to, to more of your style and, and see what happens but yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what, what happens with Chelsea. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear from a Chelsea fan and, and get their perspective, like you say. Uh, speaking of fans and their perspective, let's move on to your Spurs, Joe. 2-0 uh, defeat to Villa. Uh, I'll, I'll let you take this one. I did my Liverpool rant. I'll let you have a have a Spurs rant here. I mean,
0: there's really not much to say. It's just the same old, same old, you know? <laughs> same old turd. Uh Just terrible. <laughs> Um, this was a home, home fixture. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just so rancid, just, they just did nothing. Uh, yet again, um, I was a little excited coming in, um, because Brian Heal was playing, uh, Kulosevsky, unfortunately, was hurt. So I was like a little excited, like, oh, you know, a new, new fresh face up there and let's see what happens. Uh, so what happened? Harry Kane didn't get a touch of the ball until the 20th minute. (laughs) <laughs> That's not good. Uh, <laughs> Hing-Ming Sung looks just lost. He just, he just, I can't, you know, he's just, this man won the golden boot last year, and he's just completely lost. Um, Matt Darty is just so average. Davies and Lenglet, uh, I thought Christian Romero played well. He's the one player I thought played well. Basuma last year was so good with Brighton, and he's so bang average with Tottenham. I think Perisic is pretty good. I don't think he was necessarily great on the day but I think he's been pretty good. Uh, and then I think, I mean, if you just want to go into the two goals that they gave up first goal, Loris, just another <laughs> awful punch, uh, just terrible. And he's been so susceptible to making these errors. Uh, I thought that um, Bundia made a great run off of it. So he did capitalize well. So I want to give him some credit. Uh, the four defenders for Tottenham, you know, just sitting there as well. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do want to give them the uh, credit on that uh, on that finish. And so, okay, so for the 10 straight game, Tottenham give up the first goal. Been here, done that. It's, <laughs> I mean, for a, ta- a team as talented as a Tottenham, that's got to be close to a record. But, you know, whatever. Usually they kick on. This game, they didn't even bother to kick on. It was amazing. You know, there were 60,000 people <laughs> at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It, it's not quite what Hart Lane but it can get into a game so well. The crowd is kind of right on top of you, and there was just nothing. You know, this beautiful stadium and just crap football. <laughs> and, you know, they pan over to Conte, and he looks terrible. Uh, the second goal from Douglas Luiz, just just horrific defending, just splits the two defenders, easy ball in, easy finish. Um, just just terrible. Um, Conte makes a sub finally in the 18th, 80th minute. Brings in Matasar, uh, who did nothing. Oliver Skipp Spence came in in the eighty eighth minute, did nothing. Just it's just the team that's in free fall. There's too much talent on this team, um, to, to be this bad. I mean you look at the squad, I know Benton and Corse hurt, but you know, I think defensively you can get at them. But you know, this team should be scoring goals. You know, Heyman's Harry Kane, uh, usually Kulosevsky, they have Richard with Betton core healthy, Hoybier. Um, you know, Perisic. I mean, there's so much quality on this team to be this poor. Uh, So it's very frustrating. And then I think the most frustrating thing, obviously, is in Conte, just constantly complaining, constantly saying the squad's not good enough. And then, like, if you're in the squad, you got to be like, what the hell, we're never good enough? Like, maybe it's you. And he just <laughs> – Conte just has not gotten the best of the squad. You know, I don't – obviously, I, I'm not – I'd rather play more attacking style. Um Conte obviously doesn't play like that, but we're not even getting results. So it's just it's bad football, and it's bad results. This is this is just a continuation of Jose Mourinho and Nuno you know, Espiritu Santo, and it's just bad. It's And this is a club that's really at a crossroads. And, you know, what Tottenham has done brilliantly, you know, starting with Harry Redknapp, a little dip during AVB, but with Pochettino as well is – Bringing young players through the system, whether it be Aaron Lennon, whether it be Luka Modric, whether it be Gareth Bale, whether it be Harry Kane. Conte doesn't do that. And for Tottenham to compete, the best way for them to compete is like what we saw with Arsenal, right? Have Saka. They brought in Odegaard. Just build like that and bring in young players from other teams as well and develop that talent and build through the you know build through the youth. Tottenham under Conte, they don't really do that. They've struggled mightily. And, you know, I just – I don't think there's really an easy answer. I think, you know, Conte has accomplished a lot. I just don't think he's going to be the long-term answer for this club. So you have to make a decision of when do we cut the cord. Do you wait till the end of the season? Do you do it now? I think no matter what, this is going to end badly. So I'd rather <laughs> just pull the Band-Aid off and try to move on to the next the next step. And that might require a rebuild. That might mean, you know, selling Harry Kane. Selling a Hoybier, selling older talented players, but you know this team needs a rebuild. It needs a refresh, and I think it needs a transition away from counterattacking football back to more possession-based attacking football that they could have had if they had hired a Grand Potter, or if they, you know, had hired a Eddie Howe, or if they brought back in Mauricio Pochettino. You know, I think that's the direction Tottenham should have headed in. I think we're just kind of delaying the inevitable with Conte. Yeah,
1: and I think, uh, yeah, I think I think that's the shift that needs to happen. I don't think when you look at the squad, like you say, they've they've got the talent. I don't think it's necessarily bringing players in. There may need to be some turnover if you if you change the manager and they want to change the style a bit. But to kind of to not score in this game, like you say, Harry Kane going so long without even touching the ball um, at home. Against a team who, yes, Emery has come in and you know turned things around since since when Gerard was in in, in control. But um, you know it, it, you got to be looking to be knocking on the door, and this kind of defense first man, mentality that they seem to have, and sitting back and always conceding the first goal is is not what you would expect from. The, the attacking players that they have uh just want to give a shout out to, to any betters there out there um if you want to bet on always being a goal in an emery game and i think he's now gone 55 premier league games without a no z- uh, no draw uh so you know if, if emery's a manager there's going to be goals in a game um so that's a little betting tip for you uh yeah i think uh i think villa are looking good under emery now uh how long that lasts there's always that kind of new manager boost uh like we we mentioned with Wolves as well um kind of come in and, and change things around and, and give them a boost I don't know how long it lasts well but they're definitely looking good Villa have definitely got some talent in their team as well so I want to give acknowledgement to that but yeah Tottenham uh I feel for you mate I uh, feel exactly the same with Liverpool I think both teams are in very similar positions here where it's What's happening now is not working and it needs to be needs to be change. Um, the rest of the league yep. or the teams above them are going to start leaving them behind. Otherwise,
0: um, yeah, just quickly on Villa, since I didn't uh, pay them no mind, I was not <laughs> super impressed by them, but I, I think Ollie Watkins is a class player. Um, yeah, I mean, it, they were solid enough. I think they did what they had to do. I just I don't think <laughs> Tottenham's a very good measuring stick because right. it's, it's so straightforward what they're going to do. And it's so slow. It's so lethargic. The wing backs, which are supposed to be so essential in Conte's system, are just so inadequate. And it's just it's just not very hard to, to defend against.
1: Yeah. So we've got, got three games left to go through. Uh, next Little one we we'll go through. Yeah. yeah. Brentford beating a very, very lifeless West Ham team <laughs> um, 2 0. Uh, the 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 West Ham faithful were not impressed by this uh, many of them left before the end of the game and if there was any of them there left at the end, uh, you could hear their booze ringing out across all of London. I imagine um, Brentford, like I say, have looked good uh, winning. I think they're now unbeaten in six after this Liverpool game they, they're unbeaten in five after after winning this one and six games unbeaten for Brentford now that they've beaten Liverpool as well. and yeah they they look like a fun team as well that's gonna score goals gonna cause problems for you uh, and you know it's that it's that new new Premier League team and it's always one that always kind of surprises and comes up and, and catches people with surprise and I think Brentford are doing a very good job uh, and like I say for West Ham now lost five in a row free fall towards the bottom bottom of the table um, I don't know where they go There's I've seen on Twitter there's posts about their kind of the board is already put in place or their contingency plans for relegation and what that means for their finances uh, which is probably not what you want to hear when you're only halfway through the season uh, you, you'd kind of want to probably keep that behind closed doors, even though most teams probably do have that in place. You don't want to start publishing those things uh, when you're not relegated yet and you're not even in the relegation zone. Uh, So I think that was interesting. Uh, Do you have much to say about Brentford and West Ham?
0: Yeah, I actually do. Uh, I figured I watched (laughs) this game because I knew you you had the Liverpool game under control. Um, The first goal for Brentford came off a long throw-in. We don't see that too often. It kind (laughs) of got deflected a few times. Um, And then, you know, Tony finished it, which was nice. Um, The second goal was off a counterattack, as we anticipated. Uh, There was one moment late on with Bowen, was fouled just outside the box in the second half. It was just inches away. It was originally given as a penalty. um, So that could have maybe changed the game. I did think that West Ham started pretty well. Brentford kind of just absorbed the pressure until they scored um, that first goal uh, from Tony in the 18th minute. And I think that kind of helped stabilize Brentford. I thought Brentford were the better team pretty consistently throughout this game. And I think, you know, extrapolating this out, um, you know, I think, you know, we've seen them obviously play Liverpool and we've seen them play um, Tottenham recently, Brentford. But I want to say this is a team in terms of XG. I know XG is not, you know, all-knowing, but this is a team that have beaten Liverpool, Man City, Tottenham, Chelsea, and Manchester (laughs) United in XG this year, this season. That is mighty impressive. Thomas Frank has done a a great job. Um, I think Owen mentioned it in the email, and I definitely want to second that. Um, This is a team that plays good football. It seems under control. But I did think that the point that Owen made that was very good was Tony is due to possibly have a suspension um, because of the gambling, um, right. you know, bets that were made, so I think that is going to be something that could really impact this Brentford team. He's their, he's their, you know, he he he's their hunter. He's the one that poaches the goals, and I think that's what kind of separates Brentford from some of these other teams at the table that play nice football, but they don't have that marksman. Right. Uh, I think he's kind of that. So if they're without him, you know, potentially for. The rest of the season, once he gets suspended, I think that could be a huge blow to them. So I think it's important that they rack up these points. You know, they're up to seventh. I think they play a good style that even if they lose Tony, they'll be able to survive um, and not be relegated. But I do think that is a big issue for them going forward because I think they play good football. I think they have a lot of quality in the squad. But I don't think they have anybody that can replace Tony, uh, which will be an issue.
1: Yeah, he's obviously their main marksman. They didn't look like they would struggle without him today, but that was against a very lifeless Liverpool team. So to your point about Spurs not being the best measuring stick, maybe maybe Liverpool are not the best measuring stick. Uh, But another team who have a great marksman, is Fulham uh, in Alexander Mitrovic, who actually missed a penalty in their game against Southampton uh, right at the end, 96th minute. Uh, but they, they get a late winner in the 88th minute through Paulina uh, to, to get another victory here for Fulham and another defeat for rock bottom Southampton. Uh, Ward Prowse probably had better days. His free kick was a beautiful free kick. Check that out. Um, yep. But he also was credited the own goal that, that gave Fulham the lead in the first half. Um, I think Southampton... Uh, of all the teams that I've watched lately, uh, I, I think they've got probably the biggest mountain to climb, not just because they're bottom, but just the way that they can't seem to stay in games and, and kind of even even in this one, you know, two minutes to go, they let it in go. Then, you know, they could have been even worse 3-1 if, if Mitrovic scores the penalty, but yeah, he, uh, he had it saved. But I, I, just, I just don't see Southampton really putting up much fight uh from from what i've seen definitely in recent weeks and even before the world cup break uh much to say about fulham and southampton
0: well this is just kind of reference earlier the corner corner goal section of this pod uh right. both <laughs> goals were fulham off corner kicks uh they actually created the Ward Ward Proust with an own goal on the first one but then uh juan with the second goal i thought was you know again a kind of messy goal that they scored um off the corner. But, yeah, corner kicks are very important. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about points here. You know, this decided this game, the three points. You mentioned the Ward Prowls, beautiful free kick for Southampton. That looked like that might steal them the game. And I think this was a pretty even game. I yeah. think, you know, I watched this game pretty closely. And I think this was a pretty even game. The difference being Fulham scored on two set pieces on the corner kicks. Southampton only finished, obviously, on the one free kick. You mentioned the Mitrovic penalty. He missed didn't really matter because uh, they still won. But, yeah, I think the, the difference in this game was set pieces. And so many times in these critical games, set pieces are going to be the difference. And it's not always pretty. Sometimes it's an ugly goal off ahead, off of this, off of that. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> if it goes back in the back of the net, that's all that matters. So uh, I think a, another great three points from, from Fulham. I think you have to be if a Fulham fan. You have to be more and more confident of them. You know, staying up. You know, they, right. they're on 25 points. They've, they've built themselves a nice little cushion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's a perfect segue to our last game, uh, talking about set pieces. A, a game that saw both goals coming from corners, Crystal Palace beating Bournemouth 2 0. Um, I think Bournemouth looked terrible in this game. Uh, probably not the best week for the South Coast outside of Brighton. Uh, Bournemouth and Southampton both looking pretty, pretty poor at the moment. Um, you know, Bournemouth are still three points above Wolves to to, to the relegation battle. Um, so there's still a bit of a cushion there. Um, But they just gave palace so much space from the set pieces their defending was just so shoddy and just didn't even look switched on at all and palace kind of getting the victory sitting pretty comfortable in in mid table and i think if if palace can string together another few few results over the coming months sale they'll soon be kind of detaching themselves from that relegation battle not out of it yet by any means is a long way to go but um these are the kind of wins and you can like you say get two set piece goals get the three points beat the teams around you that's what you need to do to start putting some separation and, and getting yourself out of a relegation battle and yeah uh, set piece goals as you say very important do you, you have much to say on on palace bournemouth
0: uh no not really i only watched the first half um as you mentioned the two the two corner kick goals the first one iu uh you know a ball in the box, a second one from Etsy outside the box. They did a nice job of finishing that one. I like the two different, you know, inside the box and then uh, a nice play out outside of the box, a free shot on target. There was really no Bournemouth defenders near him, uh, which allowed for the second goal. And like I said, corner kicks, corner kicks, corner kicks. Uh, It's not always the easiest way to score, but if you can be innovative, you can do things differently. They can be the difference between you staying up and, you know, not – this was another huge game, obviously, for Bournemouth to drop points. Um, you know, any time you drop points at home is not great. Um, and you know, I think if you ask me one team that I think is going down, I'd probably say Bournemouth, even though, you know, they're not currently in the relegation zone. I, I think
1: it's now so two far points. Year, I, I I misspoke. It's now two points because Forest got that draw, so it's yep. uh, they're they've only got a two point cushion.
0: Yeah, I think they have the worst goal difference, so if not, it's close. Um, yeah, I would say Bournemouth right now would be the one team I think most likely to get relegated.
1: Yeah, I think them and Southampton would probably uh, make a good case for, for those teams, um, yep. just in, in the way they're playing. Uh, just quickly looking at the table, so you got Arsenal at the top, seven points clear of Man City, uh, then Newcastle in third. Man United in fourth, Tottenham sitting in fifth, Liverpool sixth. Uh, we'll look at the bottom half of the table. I don't need to read you the whole table. You can check that out. But Southampton sitting rock bottom with just 12 points. Wolves uh, 19th with 13. West Ham and Forest both with 14, but Forest with the worst goal difference. And then Everton and Bournemouth leads uh, just above them. Uh, and really from... You know, I think Villa have got the most gap, seven points in 12th, in they're seven points off the drop, uh, but Leicester are only three points off the drop and, and not looking great defensively leads. Uh, I think probably looking the best out of the teams in this mix. Um, kind of fighting for relegation but that can quickly change with with a bad result against a team near you it just really sucks you back in so uh just a quick look ahead uh to where we're going with the podcast there's uh games wednesday and thursday uh and no which days do we have games tuesday wednesday thursday this week uh so arsenal at home to newcastle on tuesday everton home to brighton leicester at home to fulham and man united at home to to bournemouth uh Arsenal Newcastle's got to be the pick of those games, I'd say. Uh, I think uh, you know you got some, some decent. Like I think Newcastle have only looked like they've kept about five clean sheets in the last seven or something like that. They've they've conceded very few goals uh, of late, whereas Arsenal seem to like to score goals. Uh, so I think that'll be a fun one, and obviously top of the table implications. Uh, any any other of the fixtures, the four fixtures tomorrow, catch your eye?
0: No, I think you mentioned Arsenal Newcastle kind of is the one that sticks out. I think Everton-Brighton is going to be an important game. I think Leicester City-Fulham will be a fun game to watch. You know, neither one kind of sits back. So I think that will be a pretty uh, fun, free-flowing game. I think late Leeds-West Ham United is going to be a fun game. One of those teams needs a point. Uh, Three points would be huge for either of those teams. And I think the big one is obviously Chelsea-Man City on Thursday. They're obviously going to play in the FA Cup over the weekend as well. So it will be interesting to see how those two games go. I think mm. Chelsea are in dire straits. I think Man City, I mean, by the time Man City kicks off, they could be 10 points by an Arsenal. So yeah. heading into a road game against Chelsea is never fun. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, sadly, no Liverpool game into the FA oh. Cup. So <laughs> that's that disappointing. Sadly? <laughs> yes, sadly for me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, you know, I think we have a fun bit of fixtures here. You know, with the World Cup being when it was these games are getting crammed in. So we have another midweek game. And of course this weekend we have an FA cup weekend. So I think there'll be a lot of teams substituting guys, a lot of squad rotations. Um, But I think, you know, I'm excited for these next nine games. Um, I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of fun games and I think we're looking at a season where I think we're going to have a title battle. I think we're going to have a battle for the top four. And I think we're going to have a fun relegation battle. So, um, I think they're almost everybody, almost every team is fighting for something at this point.
1: Yeah, for sure. And we'll uh, we'll try to get back online and and record another podcast on Thursday uh, to wrap up all these games. Go and then kind of figure out what we want to do with the FA Cup. There's a lot of games, obviously, in the FA Cup, and maybe we'll we're gonna watch every single one <laughs> All like ninety odd games. All right? Which round are we in? I don't even remember which round we're in. So a uh, lot of round we... proper, right? third round proper there's still quite a lot of games in that right so let me, uh, let me
0: pull up see, let me i'm gonna pull up the fa cup game see uh <laughs> oh what uh, does oh, that oh, Sorry, before we're done too uh if we want to do winners and losers
1: oh yes uh um, i will
0: pull up an fa cup oh everton man united in the fa cup third round uh,
1: there's, there's some good fixtures. so yeah we'll, we'll maybe we'll pick Puffy, a few to, we'll, we'll early seven thirty
0: kickoff oh that's gonna be a tough one to get up for yeah um you know, the, do you know there are 1, 2, 3, 6, 7, 30 early morning kickoffs on the Saturday? There we go. Uh, they,
1: they filled with sport, and that leads right into the uh, NFL Saturday as well. So ooh,
0: Liverpool-Wolves. Uh... That's going to be a nice, boring game. Uh, Man City-Chelsea, as we said. Ooh, Arsenal away at Oxford. So we got some games. Uh, ooh, I like this Hardy Pool against Stokes, Stoke City. So, I mean, look, I, I love the FA Cup. Uh, it's a lot of yeah. games, but... Usually what I like to do is I like, you know, watch a few base games and then um, whatever game is kind of a potential of a big upset. I love tuning in for that. So we'll see. And so we can get into that next weekend. And I think we can also maybe deep, deep dive into a team. Uh, Could be Chelsea, could be West Ham. We'll try to get someone on from one of those Sure. we'll figure it out. We just kind of want to talk to somebody of a team that's in crisis. Yeah. And uh, that's get... not
1: Liverpool or Tottenham. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> we well, don't exactly.
0: need more of our rants.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. Winners and losers this week. Me, the winner I think is Brentford. I, I really liked how they played. Uh, again, maybe my bias and kind of paying key, keener attention to, to the Liverpool game today, but you know, the West Ham game, they did well um they, they've just yeah they've impressed me and you know six points from two games is, is all you can ask for right um probably didn't expect that when you look at the fixtures and and they got it so they were my winners who are your winners this week
0: well, well do your losers first
1: my losers uh probably me uh oh. any liverpool fan no that's selfish uh, i think uh old vat faiz is probably a bit of a loser uh, just from his what a story hero. defending He's still a hero hero um, to it, me at least uh, it's yeah this is the second time on the podcast that you know we've talked about a different vault scoring two goals oh. <laughs> in pretty quick succession uh which I'm very i didn't torn. think we do would I get ever a vault
0: shirt or do i get a for i don't <laughs> just know just get, get a vault
1: get just yes. get a Valt shirt. just uh, put Vout on the back of every shirt you own mm-hmm. um yeah i think he's got to be the loser here i think it, it really shaped the game and uh probably cost his team at least a point if not two uh, who who are your winners and losers this week?
0: So I'm gonna go off the off the league here. I'm gonna go to La Liga for my winners and losers. <laughs> my winners, Real Betis, with one of the best traditions. All the fans around you know Christmas Boxing Day, whenever they have the fixture, throw stuffed toys onto the field, and they collect <laughs> all the stuffed toys and they bring them to kids. Um, oh, that's good. And it's just such a beautiful tradition. It's so funny and so. It's so different, and you just see these people just hawking bears and <laughs> you know different stuffed animals and all this different kind of all all these different kind of toys onto the onto the field, and you know you have all the groundskeepers trying to scurry around pick them all up. And I think it's just a beautiful tradition. My losers, there's actually two that I have from La Liga. One is La Liga chairman. The just. <laughs> What's just some of the most brain-dead comedy over here? So Javier <laughs> Tepe. So what happened was Vinicius Jr. was uh, racially uh, – received racist abuse from the crowd. Right. And it's clearly on video. And so he responds, and he's, he's very in – in his comments, he's very frustrated with La Liga. And it's just basically said they haven't done anything. So, what they does... said,
1: I think he said, like they accept racism. I think it was right. like
0: the direct quote, right? Yes. Basically, he said, racists racist continue to go to stadiums and watch the biggest clubs in the world up close, and La Liga continues to do nothing. Yeah. So, what does Javier Tevez do in response? He tweets, In La Liga, we've been fighting against racism for years. Vinicius Jr., it is unfortunate, unfair, and not true to publish that La Liga doesn't do anything against racism. Inform yourself better. <laughs> so he says this to a guy who was literally on video being racially right you know chanted at it's so tone deaf and la liga has a real issue and yeah. like you know are they going to at the very least you could ban the stand for a few games but it doesn't sound like they're going to do anything and it's just it's just terrible there's no obvious place for racism in football and for a, an official to have that kind of comment I can only imagine if that was said from an, an American commissioner, what what would happen? Right, uh, just just so brain dead.
1: Yeah, and I think uh we don't need to go into a deep dive of the the racism in Spain, but you know, I remember watching it was Sunday night when I was back in the UK when you'd watch the, the La Liga and there was a game when Samuel Atu used to play for for Barcelona and he was being racially abused and he literally grabbed the arm of one of the defenders of the home team who was also black and said, Like, look, we're both the same and the crowd just kept going on at him. In the end he walked off the pitch and credit to him for doing that, but it's definitely been an issue like i say we don't need to do the deep dive now and you know when when the commissioner is not kind of trying to protect the players and just says like oh we are doing things but we're not really doing anything it's it's just like you say tone deaf and just unexcusable
0: but on a much lighter note i have (laughs) one more one more loser from la liga and he's a friend of the podcast (laughs) can you guess who it is
1: uh i do not have a guess you tell me
0: who am i guessing (sighs) Let's just say he had a very pivotal role in the World Cup.
1: In oh, was it World a friend, matches? the referee? Yes. <laughs> What's his name? Teo la Alarouz, yeah, I to make it A it's rose.
0: Yes, <laughs> Beto La Roche. What does he do? He comes back to La Liga and he gets one of the biggest fixtures. He gets the derby <laughs> between Barcelona and Espanyol. Yes. And what does he do? In true Matou's fashion, what does he do? <laughs>
1: How many players did he book this time?
0: Oh, how many <laughs> plays did he book this time? How many players did he book this time?
1: <laughs> I'm going to guess uh, 16.
0: Ding, 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 ding. It was actually ding, ding. <laughs> That's
1: so 16
0: good. players, including, <laughs> I believe, three off the pitch, including Javi <laughs> Rafina. Uh, yeah, two red cards this time. Oh, 16 at least he got to the red. Cards. Nobody <laughs> likes the game more than Mathieu Luche. This man <laughs> just loves to make it about uh, himself. And the derby uh, gives up 16 <laughs> cards. 16 to, yellow cards.
1: They need to bring this him in man, for like an old firm or something. Bring him over uh, to the UK and take him out to Scotland for the old firm. <laughs> it's so
0: good. Name, Antonio Mateo Lahoge. My loser of the week and maybe eternity. Okay. Oh my goodness.
1: That's so good. Well, friend of the podcast. Maybe we'll have him on Monday. He, won't, he might be looking for work soon, so we can, we can invite him on. He might have some time to fill. Oh, to, yes. to but on that note, Joe, how can people reach us uh, via email?
0: If you have any La Liga hate, anything like <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, podcast at gmail.com. If you want to become a fan of any team in England, uh, you have any comments on what we had? If you want to add anything about uh, Pele, or uh, I talk about these teams, or if you're a a Chelsea, or what, or your team's in disarray and you want to speak your mind, we'd love to have you on the pod. Um,
1: we can always uh bring on Ali Lasher as our West Ham fan. <laughs> see if, see how the first two weeks of a West Ham yeah. fandom has gone. I don't know. I don't know if it's the best time to jump on, on board with the pirate no, no. blue. But yeah, I think uh, I think
0: we need to give her some time to to Or <laughs> we'll give get her the a do over and pick a new team. Yeah. Maybe she'll see them win a game and see how that feels. Uh might take a while for that to happen though. But yeah. yeah or, um Yeah, don't forget I, to
1: know, to subscribe to the podcast, get this into your inbox right away. Uh, check out our website. Like I say, Olin with two articles. Well, one, two, too soon. I'm going to up, uh, upload the Pele article. So I'll check that out. And uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod. And yeah, Joe, we welcome in the new year. If, if, if the football league started or the premier league started in 2023, both our teams would be bottom two. Uh, so new hopefully it's on with, <laughs> if hopefully it's on with it up with Taria. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, take care and enjoy the
0: rest of your night. Absolutely. We look forward to talking to you in a few days.